and we'll go into our scripture reading before the sermon. So if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll be finishing up chapter 6. So we'll be looking from verses 12 to 20. First Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 20. And you can follow along in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen behind me. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. But don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says that two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the word that you have for us today. We thank you that it's a word that is so countercultural that it might shock us, it might uh, make us uncomfortable to discuss, it might make us unsure of how to respond in this world. But we thank you, Lord, that in your word is a firm foundation that we can rest upon, that we can stand upon for the rest of our lives, recognizing, Lord, that your word never changes, that you indeed never change. In this, Lord, it might feel like a rebuke at times, but at the same time, it is grace to us. For you never change. You are always welcoming, always gracious, always loving. No matter what's been done in the past, no matter what we struggle with, we know, Lord, that your arms are wide open, that you make us clean, that you love us. It's in this that we place our great hope. We know, Lord, that your son Jesus has secured this hope for us, and it's his name that we praise this morning rather than putting down our own selves. Thank you, Lord, that you call us. Thank you, Lord, that you call us sons and daughters of the great King. We turn to you now for the truth, and we ask that you would make it pleasant to our ears, that you would help us, Lord, to receive it well into our hearts and to be transformed by it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing on in the one in body section of our series through 1 Corinthians, United as One. So Paul, in our passage today, he's confronting the Corinthian church for their immoral behavior, as you can see from the passage. In particular, he's confronting them about their excuses for this immoral behavior. You know, they've come up with a few excuses for why they have this immoral behavior in their church. Now, one thing to keep in mind as we look at this passage is what we talked about in the first sermon, in the very first sermon of the entire series. You don't have to stretch your memories that far back if you're not sure because I'm about to summarize it for you, Paul's opposition to the cultural influence on the church in Corinth. So in particular, the Gentile sins of sexual immorality and idolatry that existed in the city of Corinth that has infiltrated the church and has influenced the way that they think and the way that they do life. 
Now read with me, verses 12 to 13. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Have you ever heard Christians say this? Have you ever heard a Christian say, everything is permissible for me? Or maybe in other words, don't be legalistic. I have the right to do anything. There's grace, and God will forgive me. Now, this is a misuse of Christian freedom. If you've ever heard someone say this to you, or if you yourself have said this before, for a Christian to quote the first part, the first part of this verse, but not the rest of it, is a misuse of the Bible. Because everything is permissible for me, is Paul quoting the Corinthians before responding to them, correcting them, and you can see this. Here's a breakdown of what that looks like. The Corinthians say, in the left section there, oh, what's happening here? The Corinthians say, everything is permissible for me. Paul responds, but not everything is beneficial. The Corinthians say, everything is permissible for me, and Paul responds, but I will not be mastered by anything. And the Corinthians say, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. And Paul replies to them, however, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now some of the Corinthians in this church, they were saying that they had the right to do whatever they wanted, some of which Paul clearly objected to. And here in our passage, we can see that the behavior that they're trying to protect was having sex with prostitutes. Why were the Corinthians saying this? Why was this the hill that they were willing to die on? It's probably not something that a group in our church is going to stand up and try to defend and say, hey, we're allowed to do this. It's our right and I'm going to fight for it. But this idea of freedom, of not answering to anyone and to decide for themselves what their rights were, it's a common philosophy in paganism, so in beliefs other than Christianity. And the cultural influence of the city in Corinth surrounding the church at this time has clearly come and influenced the way that they see the gospel as well. It's crazy if you think about it. It's crazy to even hear it laid out like this. But paganism has had such a huge influence on the way that these Corinthian Christians thought that they seriously believed that they thought it was fine for them to go and have sex with prostitutes. Now, what about us? What about us here at New Life, the year 2022? What from the culture around us has seeped into the church that has made us believe in our individual rights and freedoms to do whatever we want? Over and above the call to holiness as we become more and more like Jesus. And in his book, Strange New World, I've talked about this book before, theologian Carl Truman, he observes that modern culture has seen people become self or selves. An individual mind rather than the person belonging to a group. This self has become more and more self-involved, has become more and more inward-focused, and as an individual mind, the self has become obsessed with what? With his own desires. It's all about their own desires. And quite often, this selfish desire results in sexualization. Because what else would you desire? Until human beings become sexual beings. Humanity and the wider culture around us loves autonomy, 
believing that we can do whatever we want and everyone should affirm our desires publicly. Everyone should say, great job. You do you. You be your own truth. Otherwise, they're hateful, they're bigoted, and individually oppressing us and our entire being. I can do what I want, be who I want to be, and you're backwards if you don't agree, is the call of our generation. And this isn't far apart from someone else, a pagan philosopher by the name of Dio, from back in that time, the wise are permitted to do anything they wish. Paul opposes the Corinthians' excuse for their sexual immorality, their excuse of personal freedom. Paul tells them first, not everything is beneficial. Who is it not beneficial to? Now, every time I read this in the past, every time I read this verse in the past, I thought this was talking about how all personal freedom might not be good for each individual, for us to just exercise. But generally speaking, in 1 Corinthians, when it talks about benefits, Paul is talking about benefiting others in the community. Is your behavior going to benefit others in your community? Later in the chapter, there's definitely thoughts about individual consequences, and we'll come across that in a few moments. But here at the very beginning of the passage, Paul is thinking of the common good of the church, because no one can be truly free if absolutely everyone exercises every individual freedom, especially if that might harm other people's freedoms as well. Now, not only this, but having sex with prostitutes is not just an individual decision and action. Just like any form of sexual immorality, there's a negative impact on others in our community. Even if we had the right to do whatever we wanted, even though in this specific case of having sex with prostitutes, we don't have this right, but say hypothetically there's something that we are free to do, the guiding principle should still be that we don't ignore how our actions affect those around us. Do I, me, do I have the right to take liberties with my safety? And I just have a passion for going swimming with sharks. I really want to go swimming with some great white sharks. Do I have the liberty to do this? Maybe, but it's going to have an effect on my wife and child, on the way they think, on the way they grow in anxiety about whether or not I'll come back at all. It'll have an effect on my wider church family as well. The pastoral search committee might have to get back together, and they definitely don't want to do that, from what I hear. Those are things that I need to consider when I think about my individual freedoms. Not everything is beneficial. Everything we think about when we think about pleasing God has a social aspect to it. There is no isolated act because not everything is beneficial and it will impact our community around us. Now, beyond the social aspect, there's clearly an individual dimension to this as well. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Another way to translate this from the original Greek would be to say, I have the liberty to do anything, but I will not let anything take liberties with me. Or, all things are in my power to do, but I will not be overpowered by anything. Now, you might be wondering, how does having sex with a prostitute mean you become mastered by something? And our modern-day concept of mental health might tempt us to think Paul is talking about becoming obsessed with the prostitute or becoming obsessed with the act of sexual immorality. But no, 
what Paul is talking about links forward with verse 16 when he quotes from Genesis, that sexual intercourse results in two people becoming one flesh. The irony of the Corinthians pointing to freedom to do whatever they want is that this abuse of freedom is going to result in their becoming enslaved and to becoming one with the prostitute. Verse 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Okay, so we might be tracking with the passage so far, but why the diversion into food? Now, in the ancient world, people believed that an appetite for sex was no different from an appetite for food. So the Corinthians also received this cultural belief. Remember, the influence of culture on the church, thinking that just like food is meant for the stomach and vice versa, sex is meant for the body and the body for sex. In their minds, the stomach has no purpose if we don't eat. And just like that, the body has no purpose without sex. By this rationale, the Corinthians reasoned, these things are natural. Why should we stop it? These things are natural, so there's no ethics tied to this action, just like there's no ethics to eating an ice cream cone. For this, they felt there was no ethics tied to it. Now, new life. Should sex be treated as just an appetite to be satisfied whenever we like? This was an important distinction for the Corinthians to make because in their minds, and again, this is influenced by the culture of Greek dualistic thought and not Christianity, the Corinthians believed that God was only concerned with the things that would make it past death. Their belief was that the body had no eternal value because they thought that only their souls would survive after death, that their bodies would be no more. Wasn't the Lord Jesus resurrected in a physical body? Do not fall for this dualism masquerading as your faith. The unfortunate reality of our humanity is that we are willing to do anything, to say anything, in order to rationalize what we desire. The first time that I ever saw pornography was when I was sometime between year two and four, sometime between the ages of eight to 10. We have kids this age at our church now. They're definitely not ready. Some kids from my neighborhood exposed this stuff to me through magazines, videotapes that they had at home. Most of you guys know what videotapes are. I didn't really know what to think. Later, when our family got the internet, kids from the neighborhood came, they crowded around my computer, and suddenly it became a lot easier to access this stuff than going to my friend's dusty you know, brother's home. And so what started off as peer pressure, where I didn't have the desire for this stuff in the past, it started to transform into something a little bit uglier. Selfish desire broke down the image of God in other human beings, turning them into objects, into sexual beings for my own satisfaction. And I myself became a sexual being, rationalizing my selfish behavior, objectifying others, just as a way of meeting natural needs. Now, for the Christians who struggle with this here today, you're not going to find any judgment from me here, but maybe your rationalization follows the same pattern as the Corinthians, believing that it's all okay, that everything is permissible, that the body just has appetites here on earth, and they're going to get better once you get married, 
once you can take out your frustrations. They're going to get better when you die. Maybe this is what you believe. This was my own belief as well, sometime after becoming a Christian. Maybe my hope, and I would rationalize my sin into believing that when I die, my body's going to be no more anyway. I'll just be a spirit floating around on the clouds, and then I'll be free. But then what would be the point of us still being on this earth, having a physical body after committing our lives to Christ? The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, Scripture tells us. What Paul is saying here is that our bodies exist in order to serve and to have fellowship with Jesus Christ here on earth. Similarly, Jesus Christ is resurrected in the physical body, which means sanctity for us. It means that he secures the very same future for us Christians in our Christian bodies as Jesus Christ does for himself. Now, without a working eschatology, okay, remember we talked about this last week, a concept that of this end of this age, when Jesus returns, we're going to believe that the body has no lasting importance and is going to disappear. No, it will be raised, the Bible tells us, which means that it's important now how we live in these bodies, how we treat our bodies, what we do to our bodies, Did you notice that it's in his physical body that Jesus' lordship is expressed in a way that we can actually see? He cares about our physical bodies. Our poor concept of ourselves as sexual beings, beings that are ruled by selfish desire, this is due to an under-realized eschatology, a dependence on the culture around us instead. In other words, in short, many of us don't care to know where the faith that we say we believe in ends up. We don't care to look into it. We'd rather hear what we want to hear from something that is not our faith, something that's easier for us to digest, something that tells us to follow our hearts, something that tells us to live out our dreams, to fulfill all our desires, and ultimately, to live selfishly. Brothers and sisters, We are members of Jesus Christ's body. This means that our resurrection is tied to Jesus' own resurrection in bodily form. Look at verses 14 to 17 with me. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says that two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Don't you know this? This is Paul six times saying this in this letter. Don't you know this? This is the stuff that the Corinthians should already know is what he's saying. Do you know this in your life? The question Paul is asking here has this undertone. If you know this already, then why are you taking part in it? Why do you still struggle with this as a concept? Why do you still argue about this? You wouldn't do this if you really knew this already, if you're already wise. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? Being part of Christ's body means that we find our purpose and our identity in him. And that has implications about what we do in this world. There's also the added implication of responsibility 
with our sexual intimacy. When Paul asks, should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? He's asking them, should I tear off the, the body part of Jesus Christ and make it part of a prostitute? Does this make sense to you? Absolutely not, he says. By no means, never. By their actions in having sex with prostitutes, the Corinthians, they're not only stating that Jesus has no authority over their bodies, they're also denying their own resurrection life to come. Even violently tearing apart Christ's body. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. There's this increasing devaluation of sex and as a consequence, ourselves, that's been happening over the years. I can see it in my short, you know, 30-something years here on this earth. I'm sure you can see it over the decades as well. Sex is casual. It's temporary enough that people use an app to figure out who their next partner is going to be. Even that phrase, next partner, does that sit well with you? It's just a given now due to how much the culture has influenced the way that we think that it's just okay for us to have a next partner. Genesis tells us that this should be unthinkable to us because the two will become one flesh. The verse from Genesis shows up in the context of the first marriage, which is supposed to inform every marriage that comes after that, every relationship. This is a real and a lasting bond that happens through the act of sexual intimacy. Pastor Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he points out that biblically, we shouldn't unite with someone physically unless we're also willing to unite with that person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally in marriage. That it makes no sense to give up our bodies to someone to whom we also don't commit our whole lives to. Maybe the Corinthian example of becoming one flesh with a prostitute feels very far away from me right now as you sit here at North Rocks. But the accessibility of pornography probably feels a little bit closer to you. Sex outside of marriage is just as close at hand. Brothers and sisters, our bodies are not our own. They belong to our spouses if we're married. They belong to our future spouses if we're ever to be married. And on top of that, ultimately, they belong to the Lord. What we know from the Bible is that sexual relationships, they carry the connotation of intended permanence. There's something permanent at work there. This is why Adam declares that it is for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And this intended permanence highlights just how unique and big the sin of sexual immorality really is. To enter into a sexual relationship outside of marriage, this isn't you saying how much you love that person so you can't stand it and wait. It's you communicating how much more you value your own selfish desires over that person. Don't be fooled into it. Now the verse quoted from Genesis and verse 17 along with it reminds the Corinthians and us of the spiritual marriage of the Christians to Jesus. And this is a union that, like physical marriage here on earth, calls for faithfulness and purity. In fact, it's greater. As John Calvin points out, the union of Christ with us is closer than that of husband and wife. 
For if a man who is joined to a wife in marriage ought not to have union with a prostitute, it is far more serious in the case of believers who are not one flesh with Christ, but one spirit. Read with me the final verses here, 18 to 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Now these final verses of this chapter, they serve as the gears that chapter 6 and 7 kind of revolve around. There's two commands that we can look to in order to summarize all of 1 Corinthians 4.18 to 7.40, which we haven't gotten to yet. This is our entire five-week series, our five-week section, One in Body. Flee sexual immorality, glorify God with your bodies. These are the two commands that Paul gives, and this is a great summary for the entire section. Why should the Corinthians, and by extension we, flee from sexual immorality and glorify God with our bodies? The heart of this isn't just the fact that our bodies will be resurrected one day, or the union aspect of who we attach ourselves to, but the heart of it is who we are. As God's saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus, as the opening of the letter calls us, as God's temple, as we've already read that we are, we must be sexually pure and maintain the holiness of God's temple. We must display our core identity as God's family. It's interesting that Paul tells the Corinthians to flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say battle sexual immorality. He doesn't say, stand firm against sexual immorality. He says, flee. And elsewhere in the Bible, people fled from their enemies. People fled from scary snakes, things that pose a danger to their lives if they were to stay. All sexual relations outside of marriage are to be fled from. Why? Because temptations to this type of sex were so common in the city of Corinth that the command to flee was necessary. Why? Because people, because Paul tells us all of the sins are committed outside their bodies, but those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. In some sense, Paul tells us, sexual immorality is distinct from other sins. Let's note here and now that Paul isn't saying that only sexual immorality damages the body. He is saying that only sexual immorality creates a one-flesh union that is against the body. He is saying as well that sexual immorality uniquely defiles God's authority and ownership over our bodies. Everything about who we are shows why we should flee from sexual immorality. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. This means that you have a unique privilege in being a carrier of the Holy Spirit. You carry God in your body. In your body rests special purpose to bring glory to God. If you read through the Bible, you see that historically the people of God, they do one of two things. They both glorify God in the temple and they also desecrate the temple as well. We take part in these actions too. In fact, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is an identity marker, one that shows whose we are. 
You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. What theologian Carl Truman observes of humanity as we become more and more obsessed with a sense of self, of giving into desires and becoming sexual beings, of our autonomy and our desire to establish our own freedoms, you are not your own. Be reminded of this. You are not your own. We are the church belonging to God. Not only do we belong to God, but this purchase came at a cost. The blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So glorify God with your body. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I pray that if you intend this to be a heavy word to cause people to reflect, to cause us to confess and repent, to turn back to you, that you allow it to sit heavy upon our conscience, upon our spirit, upon our hearts. But help us, Lord, not to reside in this place, but as we turn back to you, would you allow this word to transform into something new, into something that reminds us of your grace, of the fact that we are not our own, that our bodies belong to you, that your son secured our salvation by the cost of his blood as he hung upon that cross, that he paid for every single sin, mind, body, and spirit, that we can turn back to you and be accepted as your son, as your daughter. May we not rest in guilt. May we not wallow in this filth. But may we turn back to you. Help us, Lord, to accept one another. Help us, Lord, to receive this message and to encourage one another to glorify God with our bodies. We want to be ones that welcome this kind of conversation, this kind of discussion, where nothing is off limits and we can talk about these things that we can undo the work of the culture around us, and that we can set a new culture here for us at New Life. Would you speak clearly? Transform us. Speak loudly and help us not to ignore this word. But may we be shaped more and more in the image of your son, Jesus. May we love him more than we love ourselves. May we not sin against our own bodies, but may we seek you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.